prayer. O Lord our God in heaven, we come before you now asking you to give us understanding into your word. I ask you to grant me the grace I need to preach your word to your people in a manner which will benefit them and is pleasing to you. And I ask you to grant us all understanding into who you are, what you have done, and who you want us to be. In Jesus' holy name, amen. At 5.30 a.m., July 16, 1945, a fellow named Dr. Robert Oppenheimer completed his mission when the first atomic bomb in human history exploded just south of Albuquerque, New Mexico. On August 6th, an atomic bomb was dropped on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. On August 9th, another atomic bomb was dropped on the Japanese city of Nagasaki. The next day, Japan unconditionally surrendered. Now, military historians disagree and they argue if the bombs were military necessity. Ethical philosophers, they argue and disagree over whether or not dropping those two bombs was ethical. We'll leave those questions to God. Only he knows that the definitive and exact answer. But there are a few things that everyone agrees upon. One, dropping those bombs ended the war. It broke the collective spirit of the Japanese high command. They realized they were not invincible. And two, they realized that That was the only way that the Japanese truly could be stopped. As I said, there's disagreements about this, but there is a couple of things that everyone agrees upon. The war was stopped by those bombs. And they're also agreed upon that the Japanese high command, the people who, who led the Japanese military, they, were, they had a collective mindset, an attitude, a worldview that was based upon that old samurai code from the 19th century in feudal Japan centuries ago, which was warlike, which in a very real way worshipped death. Kamikazes were viewed as sacred martyrs for Japan. There were millions of civilians. The Japanese high command had rallied the people in such a way, to such a fevered pitch, that there were millions of civilians in Japan, ready to fight if enemy troops landed on their soil. I'm not talking about the military. Civilians were ready to fight to the death. Everyone has agreed upon that. But those two bombs, no pun intended, exploded the mindset of the Japanese high command. You see, the emperor in Japan, you may not know this, the emperor in Japan was viewed as God. Japan, the Japanese, viewed themselves as the special people on planet Earth. Not the Germans, not the Jews, not the Americans, the Japanese. 
And for the emperor, who was considered God, to unconditionally surrender was beyond the mindset, the worldview. It was an impossibility to even consider at the highest levels of Japanese military society. Your average common peasant couldn't, couldn't fathom. It was shocking that he would give in. You're supposed to die for sacred Japan. You were supposed to bleed for sacred Japan. Those bombs did away with that mindset. It was very clear. It was over. Now, in a very real way, we need the same thing to happen to us. We need to be able to unconditionally surrender everything we have to the Lord our God. We need to unconditionally surrender our hearts, our minds, our wills, our thoughts, our desires, our emotions, our possessions, everything we love and hold dear. We have to willingly, unconditionally surrender over to God. And that will, if I can be frank, and I'm not being glib about those atomic explosions, we need some type of explosion for that to happen. We need something to wake us up out of our slumber so that this can occur. But what I want to get across to you is that God wants the opposite to occur. When those bombs were dropped on those two Japanese cities, that samurai-like, fanatic, war-loving attitude of the Japanese high command was destroyed. What God wants to happen is for, in a very real way, an atomic explosion to occur in our hearts so that we can actually develop that samurai-like attitude that we will lay down everything for our Lord. You see, in that samurai code, the Lord whom you served was everything. You did everything for that Lord in a particular geographical area. He was the boss. He was divinely appointed. We have to have that same attitude about God. Do you? Do you truly think of God not just as the God of the universe, not just as the creator of the universe, but do you believe that he owns you? That, as Jesus said, every hair on your head is counted, and some of us said the counting doesn't take very long. That the very air you breathe isn't yours. That the homes in which you live, the cars that you drove, the water that you drink, the food that you eat, they're gifts. You don't own them. I don't own them. They're on loan. They are to be stewarded by us for the glory of God. They can all be taken away in the blink of an eye. There's a story of the rich fool who's a prosperous man, a farmer. He's prosperous and he fills up his storehouses filled with grains. Then he has to build more storehouses and he fills them with grains. And he sits back on what we might see. And whenever I read the passage, I picture him sitting on a porch, rocking in his chair, and he says, oh, things are going good. Everything's okay now. And in the parable, Jesus says, Thou fool, do you not know that your soul is required of you this very night? Even if those things aren't taken away from us, the Lord can call us home at any moment he desires. Are you ready for that moment?
has that atomic explosion of Christ's love actually happened to you? This is the one thing I want you to walk away with today. That we need to develop a Christian mindset. We need to cultivate a Christian attitude, cultivate a Christian mindset, cultivate a Christian worldview. Because we only have two choices. We either think like Christ or we think like the evil one. Those are the only two choices. Do you have any idea how many thoughts go through your brain a day? There's no real way to count them. It's not like counting sheep. One, two, three, four. Counting M&Ms. No, you got ten. Oh, he got nine. Don't fight. I'll take one. Now you both have nine. The neuroscientists disagree, but the low average that they seem to think is about 30,000 thoughts a day. On the high end is over 70,000. And they disagree. How do you count a thought? You know, if you're thinking about cooking a meal, is that one thought or is it divided into 15 different thoughts because you have a million things to do for Thanksgiving? Either way, your mind doesn't stop. I'm going to challenge you to do something. It's kind of a fun exercise. You go home and you get a piece of paper, a pad. Shut your eyes and don't stop your thoughts. And every time a new thought comes into your head, just, just make a mark. And have, have, your, have someone time you for one minute. Whenever you think it's a new thought, just check it off. You'd be amazed at how many thoughts go flying through that brain of yours each day. Paul tells us that we are called to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Did you catch that? Every single thought. How are we doing on that one? Every thought. Here's my advice. Start with five minute chunks. And that is a high bar. Do it for a minute. To consciously, for one minute, for two minutes, to consciously make your thoughts your slaves. Rather than vice versa. You realize that you can't feel something until you think about it first? The thought may happen very quickly. So many of us feel as if we are moved by our emotions and that our emotions have us on a chain and they're dragging us around when in reality it is our thoughts that are in charge of our emotions. If you do not think about something, you cannot feel it. It's perception. Two things can happen. Two exact things can happen to two persons at the exact same time and they walk away with completely different reactions. We've all seen it. What is the difference? They think differently about the experience. We have to cultivate the ability. And first we have to cultivate the desire to interpret everything that happens, everything that occurs around us, every headline through the lens of God's power in God's word. God's word is what will cleanse our minds. We need to beg God. We need to beg God to destroy, to obliterate, to annihilate 
our sinful thoughts, our ungodly thoughts, our unchristlike thoughts. That is where it all begins. Have you ever got frustrated about something or worried about something and someone says, oh, it's all in your mind. It's, you're crazy. You're always doom and gloom. It's happened to me once or twice. Now, sometimes you're proven right and what you thought could go wrong does go wrong. And even though you didn't want it to go wrong, you do have this kind of sinful pleasure in saying, you know, I told you so. I told you it was going to be a disaster. And then at other times, you're proven wrong and it doesn't happen. And the person then has the sinful pleasure of telling you, see, it was all in your mind. None of us can predict the future, but we can control our thoughts. You have the ability to do that. You see, the stumbling block to achieving this is that it's our faith. We, we don't believe it. We don't. We do not believe that God can or will grant us the tools that we need to cultivate a Christian mindset. We simply don't believe it's going to happen. I've always been this way. How many times have you heard that? The whole family's like that. They're all crazy. They're all nice. Oh, well, he's just one of them. What do you expect? It's all in the last name. Don't you get it? The last name is proof of the pudding. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about all things being made new. Paul tells us in Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe that? If you are a Christian, you are a new creation of God. Do you believe that? Or do you think Christianity is something that occurs and then it simply stops and you remain as you were before you trusted Christ? If that is the case, then there is at least the distinct possibility that you haven't really trusted Christ. You see, in order to develop a Christian mindset, you first actually have to be a Christian. A non-Christian cannot develop a Christian mindset. Benjamin Franklin was a very famous fellow. And he admired Christ. And Benjamin Franklin was, by all historical accounts, a fairly nice guy, smart, frugal, very rich by this day. And he had a list of things that he wanted to do. And one of them was to um, model the behavior of Socrates and Jesus. He admired Jesus' teachings. He did not believe that he was the Son of God. He did not believe that he died for the sins of the world. Didn't believe any of that. But he thought, this is a good guy to model my behavior at. It was impossible. He never met the bar. He didn't believe what Jesus said. Right? He didn't believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Chosen One. I'm the only one who can save you. Um, Benjamin Franklin, as far as we know, never believed that. He just, just believed Jesus was a great, wise teacher. Great, wise teachers do not claim to be the Savior of the world. 
lunatics and liars claim to be those type of things. They're called false teachers, false messiahs. If you're a Christian, then you must cultivate this Christian mindset. You must. You know what's going to occur if you don't? You're going to destroy everything that you love. You'll destroy everyone you love, including yourself. Oh, you might not burn the whole thing down overnight, but you will crash and burn. It's a guarantee. The opposite is true as well. If you begin to cultivate this Christian mindset, I will not guarantee you that things will be easy. But I will guarantee you that your life will change. That may seem like a paradox. Okay, pastor, so you're telling me to change, but things might not be easy, which means things might get harder. Yes, that is the truth. Unvarnished, spoonful of sugar will not help this medicine go down. Becoming a Christian and thinking like a Christian is no guarantee that you will have an easy life. There are many Christians throughout the world right now who are suffering greatly, correct? Do you believe that because they're suffering, they're somehow less Christian than you? I dare say that because they're suffering and bearing up under it, there's a good possibility they're finer Christians than we are. You have to overcome your lack of faith that God will do this. Have you ever gone shopping and gotten frustrated? Stuff's not there. It's not there. It's supposed to be right here on this shelf. It's not there. Well, you find the thing, and you go strutting up to the cash register with that 30 or 40% off coupon, and, well, I'm sorry, sir, but that coupon has expired. And you look and say, ah, oh, it's last month. Or you bring the coupon and the stuff up and they say, I'm sorry, sir, but this item is not covered by the coupon. If you read the fine print, you know that microscopic fine print at the bottom of some of those coupons that you need the, the Hubble telescope in order to read. They say, um, this, this isn't covered, sir. I'm sorry. You have to pay full price. It's frustrating. Where can you go to shop and buy faith? There's no store. You don't have to pay for it either. It's free. It's in the Bible. The Bible is the only place that you will find faith. The Bible is the only place that you will strengthen your faith. Because that's what the Bible says. Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you desire to cultivate this Christian mindset, that Bible that you own has to be opened. It has to be read. It has to be thought about. Buy it on CD. Um, I'm not even sure if they make CDs anymore. Um, download it as an MP3. Stream it. The Word of God is available to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You can't get faith any other way. You can't strengthen your faith any other way. The Bible says amazing things about Christians. 
look, look at us. Look at the state of the church. We're beaten down. The vast majority of Christians, and I'm not necessarily talking about just you here in the pews, but I talk to a lot of Christians. They walk around like beaten dogs. They're just beaten down. Can't do anything. The world's got me, etc., etc., etc. Can't shake this. Almost every single issue in our life, not all of them, but almost every single issue in our life goes back to our lack of faith about a particular situation or circumstance. We simply don't believe that God can do it. And even if we believe that God can do it, we do not believe that He will do it for us. We doubt His goodness. Oh, I know He can do it. He can do anything He wants. He spoke the universe into existence. But He's not going to do that for me. He's not. I know that He can, but I don't think He will. I know that he's able, but I guarantee you that he will not do it for me. He will not do it for us. That's how many of us think. That's a lie. Who do you think planted that lie in your head? The evil one. Think of the garbage that the world foists upon you. The garbage that is shoved into your mind on a daily basis. Even if you don't want it. You go out to a nice restaurant, and if you don't want to hear music, tough darts. They will play music for you. Loud music. Even if you do not want to hear that music, they will pump it at you. Why? I have no idea. It doesn't make you eat more food. It doesn't make you drink more soda. I have no idea. The advertising that is pumped at us. Television ads, newspaper ads, it's a barrage. You get garbage in, you get garbage out. That's why the Bible needs to be opened. So that our minds can be renewed. So that we can be transformed by the power of God's word. The power of God's word makes an atomic bomb look like a nightlight in an infant's bedroom. So why don't we read it? Why don't we study it? Why don't we think about it? We don't believe that that's true. We believe it, but we don't. If that makes any sense. Do you know what I'm getting at? If we really believed it, we would actually open it up. It says amazing things about us. I want you to go home today. I know I already gave you one homework assignment, but that was an easy one. That was a fun one. You can do that with your wife and actually have fun. You can do that with your parents and actually have fun. I want you to go home and I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's not that long. At the end of it, it has this amazing thing. Let me just read... Three verses from 1 Corinthians 2. It's the end of the chapter. These things we also speak. Paul is talking about the gospel. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, that's the unsaved man, an unsaved person, 
does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual, that is a Christian, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. If you are a Christian, you have the mind of Christ. It's right there. If you don't believe me, go home and read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You have the mind of Christ, which means you can think like Christ. Now let me leave you with this. What is the first example we have in the Gospels where we can figure out how Jesus thought? What does that look like to have the mind of Christ? He's 12. His family's gone down to Jerusalem for the Passover like good Jews. And they go down there with a big caravan. And his parents forget him. Home alone. Literally, home alone. And they realize, oh, the kid's not here. So they go look around. They go back to the, and they find him in the temple. <clears throat> they go to Jerusalem, and they finally say, well, maybe he's at the temple. And they go there, and what do they see? There he is, little 12-year-old whiz kid, amazing the rabbis. The rabbis are the teachers and the scholars of Israel, university, PhD-level professors, and this 12-year-old kid is amazing them. And they say, don't you know that we were worried about you? He's a little perplexed by that. You remember what he said? Do you not know that I should be about my father's business? That's the mind of Christ. At 12 years old, he understood his mission to be about his father's business. I'll leave you with this thought. How much thought have you given to your father's business this past week? How much thought will you give to your father's business this coming week? That is what it means to have the mind of Christ, to be focused on your mission. You were not called to die for the sins of the world. That was his mission. You are called to proclaim that mission, to proclaim that truth in your actions and in your words wherever you go. May God give us the grace to do so. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that your word tells us that we have the mind of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would grant us the faith we need to simply access that which you have already given us. In your holy name, amen.